We will be uh, going through 1 John, the epistle, the ver- verses 5 through 10. That'll be our text. But I wanted to share a quote with you before I started uh, from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He said that preaching is logic on fire. That is, there's truth. There's an enormous amount of truth there. But it's given with unction. And that is my goal today, to not simply be intellectual, absolutely to have the truth there, to not simply be emotional, but of course to have an emotional response to God's Word. So that is the goal today by God's power and grace. As way of introduction, uh, I want to do a quick review and then a few notes, and we'll jump right into the text. Last time, it was some months ago, we started the book, the epistle. Uh, We read from the first four verses of 1 John. We examine the second person of the Trinity, how he was from the beginning, yet he really did take on human physical form. John was writing into a first century church that was attacked by Gnostic ideas and a false dichotomy of body and spirit. John not only emphasized a faith in Jesus, but wanted to ensure we had faith in the only true Jesus of Scripture, that our joy may be full. Now we'll take a look at the verses, uh, verses 5 through 10, what it means to hold an accurate idea of the nature of God and the nature of sin and to walk in the light. Now I do have a warning regarding the text today. Believe it or not, Charles Spurgeon is quoted and cited very often by churches that hold to a more Arminian view of conversion, or more commonly known as decisional regeneration. Uh, This would be surprising to anybody who is familiar with Spurgeon due to his outspoken, quote, Calvinism. I attribute this to Spurgeon's dedication to let each passage of Scripture speak with the full force the Holy Spirit has intended. Where man's responsibility is the point of the text, that is what he would emphasize. And in a like manner, today, the passage will partially deal with people who are self-deceived, thinking themselves to be in fellowship with God while actively walking in darkness. This is not to diminish the true believer's assurance. There are those with sensitive consciences, those with weak faith, Yet it is true faith, and they are held in God's hand with full justification of sins. At the same time, I want the text to speak with the full force it is intended to. A day really is coming where the wheat and the tares will be separated. There really is a day of judgment coming where some will hear the Ancient of Days tell them to depart, for I never knew you. So with full sobriety of mind, let us hear from our God and make our calling and election sure. 1 John chapter 1. I will read the whole chapter. It's just 10 verses. But our text for the sermon today is verses 5 through 10. I'm reading from the ESV. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you 
the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sins. If we say we have no sin, We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Holy and righteous Father, O Lord, would you speak to us, Father, from your word? Oh, Father, that you would encourage those in the faith who are in the faith, that you would convict of sin, Father. Show us a a true picture of Christ from your word, Father. Shake us where we need to be shaken. Secure us where we need to be secured, Father. Please help now. Come, give us understanding, Father, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I have three points for you today. The first point, light and intellectual, light, sorry, and intellectual and moral reality epitomized in God. Light and intellectual and moral reality epitomized in God. Second point, I'll go over them again too when we get to them. Do not walk in darkness, do not lie. Do not walk in darkness. Do not lie. And the third point, walking in the light, in fellowship, covered by the blood of Christ. Walking in the light, in fellowship, covered by the blood of Christ. All right, another first point, light and intellectual and moral reality epitomized in God. Take a look at verse 5. The message we proclaim to you, God is light, and in him is no darkness. The message of John, along with all the other apostles, that's the we he's speaking of here, is that God himself is the very definition of light. He is light by definition. This refers to, to two different aspects. Intellectual light, or we can call it truth. John is placing this in opposition to those false teachers who are in darkness. If you remember the last time we took a look at the beginning of the book, we saw that there was a Gnostic Gnostic teaching that was creeping into the church. It had many tentacles, but there was a false belief. Uh, I, I mentioned in the opening about the dichotomy between the spirit and the flesh and them not affecting each other. Those false teachers, 
do not walk in the light. They walk in darkness. And John wants us to see that God himself is light. God is light and therefore God is truth. All who come teaching in the name of God, but with a different message, are walking in darkness, though they proclaim to be leading people in the truth. They don't come and say, follow me in darkness. Come and follow me in lies. They proclaim to have the truth. Often the truth looks very close to the, to, to the real truth, right? If you're going to make a counterfeit bill, you make it look as real and as close to the real thing as possible. The time of the judges in the Old Testament is summarized this way. Everyone did what was right in what? In their own eyes, right? That is the default setting of fallen man. Whatever I want to do, that is right. But John, along with all of the apostles, put God and his word as the litmus by which all human ideas must be measured. Right? An unchanging, infallible measuring stick. This is why John records in his gospel the high priestly prayer of Christ, right? Not, not the epistle, but the gospel of John, uh, verses, uh, chapter 17, verse 17. Jesus prays to his Father to what? Sanctify them in the, the truth, in the light, right? Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus is asking the God of light to sanctify us in his word, His word is light. Christ is the word. Christ is the light. You follow me? Jesus is asking the God of light to sanctify us in his word. His word is light. Christ is the word. Christ is the light. So there's the intellectual component. There's the truth component to light. Whatever corresponds to what God is, is truth, is light, is good. Everything that deviates from that is error, is darkness. But there's another component to the light. Light describes a state of morality. A state of morality. God is holy. The the Word of God says God is holy, holy, holy. We would say it, He is very, very, very holy. Morally perfect. In him is no darkness. Again, John is writing this against the backdrop of the Gnostic teachings, uh, the Gnostic teaching of asceticism that said sin had no effect on the soul. They did not teach that the blood of Christ covered a multitude of sins. No, rather they taught that the body and the soul were separated, that sin could never reach the soul. So, in effect, you could live in, in a way worse than the judges, right? They, didn't, they did in the time of the judges. Because they did what was right in their own eyes. But you could live in ways that you knew were wrong. They taught, and this would not affect your soul. At least they did what they thought was right, but the Gnostics taught lies. It was darkness. And John wants our minds filled with the knowledge that God is light, and in him is no darkness. Now we can separate these two aspects of light, intellectual light, truth, 
and moral light. But they're, they're inseparable practically as we live our, our life. Okay, does that make sense to you? You can't think right and live wrong. You may check the right boxes of what you say you believe, but they are not believed biblically, right? When you believe something, the way this, the scriptures describe belief, it's a, it's a state of mind that produces action. So there's no real belief if it doesn't produce action. And there's no action, there's no moral living unless you're believing the light. So we can look at them from two angles, but there really is just walking in the light. Or it said, there is no orthodoxy without orthopraxy. There is no right thinking without right living. Point number two. Do not walk in darkness, do not lie. You will hear time and time again that all roads lead to God. You guys heard that before, I assume? Many times? Maybe not as much as we used to? But yes. Now, in a sense, listen carefully, in a sense, this is true, but not in the way people mean it, okay? The idea the world holds is that God is not light, okay? Whether they formally acknowledge that or not, this is what they think. They think we are light, and we just need to follow our inner light, and we will find God. If we follow our hearts, as we are so instructed by the spirit of this age, we will find an angel of light, not the God of light. A reference to Satan appearing as an angel of light. All roads do lead to God in this sense. There are but two roads, right? A broad road and a narrow path. One leads to God as Father, and the other, God as judge. Remember, our Lord told us that wide is the gate and broad is the path that leads to destruction, and many there are that find it. Brethren, no man plans on going to hell. The people that you'll meet in witness encounters that try to be provocative and say, oh, I want to go to hell. That's where my friends will be. That's where we're going to party. They don't want to go to hell. They want to go to something they've created in their mind. No man wants to go to hell. But most go. No man wants to go to hell. But most go. John warns us. Picture a big flashing sign. Warning. Warning. If you say you have fellowship with Christ and walk in darkness, you are self-deceived. You are lying to yourself. If you say you have no sin, that is, you might not say those words formally. You may not think those words. But if you're okay with the sin in your life. Not struggling. You're okay with it. The truth is not in you. That's what the apostle would have us to hear. If you say that you have not sinned, when your conscience tells you that you have, John's conclusion is that you are calling God a liar. 
Maybe those are words that would never come out of your mouth. Maybe thoughts that would never occur in your mind. But he's telling you that if the practice of your life is to refuse to acknowledge the sin that is there, to act as though you are not sinning, to continually, habitually love and, and, and enjoy your sin, that you are calling God a liar when you say you have fellowship with Him. The Christian's life is marked by a growing sensitivity to sin and a growing in holiness. They are inseparable. If you are growing in your sensitivity to sin, you will be growing in holiness. If you are growing in holiness, you will be growing in a sensitivity to your sin. I've heard it described like this. Early in your conversion, often there are very big things in your life that should not be there. Things that are clear to you moments after you're converted. I need to quit doing that. That's wrong. Or I need to start doing these things. They're big boulders, right? Big ugly sins. And as the process of sanctification takes place, they're rolled away. And underneath them, there's 20 smaller rocks, right? Uh, Smaller sins. uh, Quote, smaller sins, all right? As reference. And you move those away, and there's like pebbles, and under there, there's sand, okay? The Christian's life is marked in a growing sensitivity to sin. Things, you, attitudes, opinions, the way you speak to your spouse, the way you speak to, to other people as you drive down the road, things you were never convicted of before, the Holy Spirit will bring it to your remembrance. I ought not to do that. I ought not to conduct myself in that way. Does that mark your life? It marks the life of a Christian. A continual practice of repentance marks the Christian life. So how are you doing, Christian? How are you doing? If you look at the state of our nation, the state of our city, the state of the American family, and you compare that to the amount of people that identify or profess, proclaim, they fill out the surveys saying they're Christians, right? There can only be one conclusion drawn. Our churches are filled with people who are lying to themselves. There's no other explanation that would reconcile what we see and what people say they are when asked in a survey. Our churches are filled with people who are lying to themselves. People walking in darkness. My brethren, Christian sin. Christian sin. They're broken over it. They run in repentance back to Christ. Paul laments, Oh, wretched man that I am. He's weary from the battle. You will be weary battling your flesh. But there's a battle there. The Christians do not walk in darkness. Christians fall into sin. But the self-deceived dive in and swim. Again, I ask you, Christian, how are you doing? How is your thought life, men? What are you setting before your eyes? 
Know this, that the phone in your pocket is keeping more men enslaved than every oppressive government on earth combined. How are you doing? If you are enslaved to the lusts, if you're enslaved to lust, if you are walking in darkness, if you're enslaved to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, and you say that you have fellowship with Christ, you are actively calling God a liar. So men, Make war with your sin. Put it to death. Your Savior is worthy. Your wife, your kids, your church need you to do this. And God is worthy. Of course, being a man, I am much more familiar with how men are inclined to sin. But I've heard rumors that women sin too. And although many sins are common to all, women can sin in particularly feminine ways or in female ways. So I ask you, sisters, how are you doing? Are you drinking the feminist Kool-Aid? The Christian version, maybe? Are you harboring bitterness in your heart? If men are prone to pride and lust, women are prone to bitterness and usurpation, especially in the home. You are called to submit and to obey your husband. In all reality, due to the closeness of your relationship, you are more acquainted with his sin than with any other person. I'm not talking about unrepentant sin, just his particular way in which he struggles and his limitations. Do not harbor bitterness. You say, he can't even pick up his socks. And how hard is it to just replace the stupid toilet paper roll? Every trial, big and small, especially crafted for your sanctification. Children. Few children. Children. How are you doing? If you are being brought up in a Christian home, praise the Lord. But compared to your, pe- your peers in the world, you are especially equipped at being outwardly obedient while having a secret defiance you keep hidden in your heart. One of the first fruits of a young believer, that is a young person who is a young believer, should, one of the first fruits should be how you respond to the God-given authority in your life. It's easy to hide those rebellious attitudes, isn't it? Your parents are sinners. And you are very aware of this, children. 
But God, in His infinite wisdom, has placed you under their authority. And let this be a warning to parents to not breed unbelief in your children by living one way at church and another way at home. Your children will know that you sin. You cannot hide it. They must know that you repent. This walking in darkness, this professing to have fellowship with Christ, yet walking in darkness has infected and is destroying the visible church in America at large. How did this happen? Have not the last two years been incredibly turbulent and surprising? If you're paying attention, I assume you know what I'm speaking of with all of the shakeup, with all of the the towers of the faith, those who are doing the battles for orthodoxy, either cozying up or even capitulating completely to the current fads of the world. Wokeness, woke Christianity. How does this happen? The sin that was harbored in their heart, the sin that was not dealt with, will manifest in the way you live, in the way you think, in the way you act. Unconfessed sin in the heart, at best, you will stumble into apostasy and the Lord will bring you back and at worst will show that you never believed to begin with. Christian, run from sin. Make war with sin. Leonard Ravenhill says, my favorite Arminian, Leonard Ravenhill says, this world demands a new demonstration of Christianity. But what it needs is a true demonstration of Christianity. What the world demands is a new demonstration, but what it needs is a true demonstration of Christianity. Walking in the light, both intellectually and morally, is the true demonstration of Christianity. That is what the world sees. How you think and how you act. Everything pours out from this framework. For our God is light. God has given you His Word, His Spirit, and the church. Now go to war with your sin. It is said that everybody is walking around lamenting the power of sin and how defeated they are Yet all of these people still have both hands and both eyes. Brethren, cut it off. Put it to death. Better to enter heaven blind and maimed than to enter hell with all your members. The victory has already been accomplished. Christ has died. He has risen that you may now walk in this present life holy and righteous. Do not love your sin. You will kill your sin, or it will kill you. There are no options. Our third point. Walking in the light in fellowship covered by the blood of Christ. Although Christ's atonement, the Father's election, and the indwelling Spirit is sufficient for righteous living, He has not designed us to walk in this life alone. 
As it was not good for Adam to be alone to fulfill his dominion mandate, it is not good for a Christian to be alone apart from the body of Christ. It is impossible to spend a few hours a week on a Sunday and have any form of Christian fellowship. Of course, there are seasons where uh, even weekly attendance is not possible. I'm not trying to put a yoke on anybody who is providentially hindered from gathering. From, from gathering together. What I am highlighting is the intrinsic relationship between walking in the light and close fellowship with Christ and His church. They are connected. If you are not walking in the light, you are not in fellowship one with another. And if you are not in fellowship one with another, you will be struggling to walk in the light. John tells us, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The fact of the matter is that although personal time in prayer and the Word is sufficient to bring about a knowledge of sin and holiness, many aspects of our development and growth God has seen fit to accomplish through fellowship at a local church. So it's not to say that His Word and His Spirit are not sufficient, or that, his, that prayer is not sufficient to accomplish this. We can look through history, where the church was hindered from gathering, the Lord fed His children. What, we are saying, or what I'm saying here is that God has ordained a certain way in which He accomplishes this. And it is through the faithful gathering of the church, the local assembly. Jesus speaking in Matthew 12, it can be jarring to some when they first read it. It says, While he was still speaking, that's Jesus, to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my excuse me my mother and my brothers for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother the local church is where we encounter those who do the will of the father he wasn't diminishing the importance of caring for his his biological family he's saying in a very real sense this is your family some of us spend more time or should spend more time with the people in this congregation than we do even our uh, parents, siblings because of location and many other things. This is the means by which these things take place. Close, personal, familiar relationships with other believers is vital to walking in the light. John encourages us that when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to cleanse us. Yes, this confession is primarily to God. Psalm 51, right? We see, against you and you alone, God, have I sinned. David confesses after his sin with Bathsheba. But that is in its magnitude. That is in comparison to how he actually did sin against Bathsheba and Uriah and the nation of Israel, right? Yes, this confession is primarily to God. But we are also told to confess our sins one to another. This is real. This is real. 
substantial benefit to there is a real substantial benefit to confessing our sins to one another. It helps us to remember that there is no sin that is not common to man. We all put on our, 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 best, our best face, our best, we put our best foot forward when we come to church, right? It's how we live. It's normal. Sincere fellowship, friendships in the local church where sin is actually confessed when needed, not everything, right? When you're struggling, it helps us to remember that we are all going through the same sort of things in this life. It helps us with accountability. Although we know that God knows and sees all, we can so easily live our life as if this is not so. Can't we? Like you, you know, right? But there's more fear of your spouse, your neighbor, somebody at church finding out something that you're harboring, right? The absurdity of, of hiding these things. We can so easily live our lives as if this is not so, simply knowing that our brother or sister is praying for us regarding a certain sin we are struggling with, and knowing they will ask us how we are doing is often the push we need to put something to death. So brethren, how is this ever to take place if we are never spending time one with another? The answer is it won't. God is worthy of us having awkward conversations. He's worthy of us having awkward conversations with people we don't know well yet. God is worthy of you risking people finding out that despite best appearances, you have actually sinned before and may be struggling with something. God is worthy of you risking saying something cringy that will haunt you on the drive home. To be clear, I'm not talking about inappropriate conversations. It just seems that our society struggles with social interactions more than any other generation. This may be news to some of you that grew up without the interweb, but I assure you, it's a reality for many under the age of 30. They, they stress and have anxiety over social interactions. Brethren, we need the church. We need one another. Don't deprive yourself of this. Don't deprive us of you. I have three applications for you. First one, confession. Confession. Second one, congregate. And I tried really hard to make it alliterate, but I couldn't find it. So introduce yourself is the third one. Confession. Has there been a sin that you've been harboring in your heart? Something you would consider small, but your conscience tells you otherwise. Confess it to God, be cleansed, return to proper fellowship. He has the, has the Holy Spirit convicted you of something here today, something you were already aware of but became uncomfortable as you sat there. Cut it off. Do not go another moment before confessing it to God. The payment has already been made, and God stands to forgive you. What are you waiting for? What do you love more than God? 
Do not lie to yourself. Do not make God a liar in your heart. Remove the burden from your back at the foot of the cross and put on Christ's yoke, for it is light. Confess. Second application. Congregate. I think that's a word. Congregate. Every month, GBC is filled with opportunities for you to gather and have fellowship. Opportunities to confess sin, pray, learn, and grow. Every month has outreach opportunities, which are special in that your gifts can be demonstrated while in labor for the kingdom. There are physical meetings all over the county. There are Zoom meetings. We even have picnics for those who need volleyball and grilled meat to properly fellowship. Amen. I think I've mentioned it before, but we need to be so well acquainted with one another to the point where we can annoy each other at times. The point isn't to annoy one another, it's that we are that well acquainted with each other. Um, so I'm not annoying, but every other person that I've ever gotten to know well is. So that's how well we need to be acquainted with one another. How can we sharpen one another of our rough edges if our, if our rough edges never rub up, rub up against each other? Imagine sharpening a knife by setting it next to a sharpener every Sunday for a few hours. Good luck with that. Join a small group. If none fit into your schedule, talk to the elders about starting one. The same goes with our outreaches. Live this Christian life to its fullest. Congregate. And then third, introduce yourself. Kind of goes along with the second application. First to our guests. Uh, so introduce yourself to our guests. Imagine walking in here, not knowing anybody, and these are the faces that greet you, right? We've all been there before, and it's intimidating. But I know, as a church, we're, we're a pretty warm bunch, and we're, we do pretty good at that. The ditch that we can fall into is t- talking to the same people after every service. I get it. I do the same thing without thinking. It's, it's good. It's wonderful uh, to have fellowship. But if we are to be a cohesive body... Find a member that you regularly that you don't regularly visit or that you haven't spoke with in a while or maybe ever. I promise you that if you linger long after the service, Costco will still be open tomorrow. It'll be open the rest of the week. Get to know every single person the Lord has providentially led to this body so well that you know how to pray for them and they know how to pray for you. Get an inner circle of friends that you know so well you can confess sins to, uh, that you are struggling with. It's, It's never easy, but it's vital. Live this life to its fullest and to the glory of God. Our Lord and our God, oh Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you are faithful and just 
to cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we confess our sin. O Father, may we be a people that run to you when we see that we have strayed. Keep us from walking in error. Keep us from walking in darkness, dear Lord. And Father, if there are those here that indeed are outside of Christ, Father, they've heard the need to have their sins cleansed, Father, may the day Today be the day of salvation for them, Father. May they find somebody. May it be so consuming within their mind that they cannot leave this place until they understand how to be made right with a holy God. Keep us sensitive to sin, Father. Keep us humble, and may we glorify you in all we do. Thank you for equipping us, Lord, with your word and your spirit. Thank you for Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.